Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, February the 26th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me today are political editor Pat Leahy and Pat, you're here with us because this is a week of polling. We'll be talking a little bit later about the state of the parties as revealed in our Ipsos MRBI poll. But first, a lot of concentration in today's newspaper on the public view on the uh, pandemic and government strategy thereof. First of all, some first off, some good news, I think, in that there seems to be widespread willingness to take the vaccine? Yeah, I think um, it's 80% of people say they would take the vaccine tomorrow. Uh, 3% have already taken it and uh, 14% say they would not take the vaccine tomorrow. Now, you know, I suppose on the face of it, that's a not entirely insignificant minority of people who say that they won't take it. But I think if you look at these sort of numbers, you have to look at them in a dynamic context and saying you will not take it, you would not take it tomorrow is not the same thing as saying you will never take it. And certainly once you go above 80%, then you're getting at the type of levels that the epidemiologists say will give you uh, will give you immunisation. So I think that is, I mean, my first thought when I looked at that that was mm, 40% say they won't take it. You know, is is that a problem? And it's higher across some of the, the subgroups. But um, having spoken to people, uh, I, I think that's a reasonably hefty number and certainly better than you are seeing in some European countries at the moment. For example, in Germany, where, you know, there are stocks of vaccine like uh, lying unused because of vaccine reluctance on people. Um, most people uh, in Ireland seem to be in is borne out by anecdotal evidence. Most people uh, seem to be absolutely gagging to take it as soon as they can. Now, the thrust of most of the questions in the poll is is, is broader. It's about uh, people's attitude towards what government strategy should be over the next few months, um, reopening, um, the speed of reopening, if that is to happen, and um, different different policies which might be applied and what might reopen and not reopen. Um, the headline today says uh, describes this as strong support for reopening society as soon as possible. Maybe you could go through a couple of those numbers. Yes. Yeah, so just by way of explaining where like we came up with this structure uh, for the poll in, in, um, in discussions, uh, both in our own organisation and um, with the with the pollsters, I think the the next phase, uh, if you like, in the management of this pandemic will be a, a set of decisions on how quickly the lockdown is eased. As the vaccine rolls out, as the current lockdown, um, as the effect of that, which we're already seeing on suppressing cases, deaths, easing pressure on hospitals uh, and so on, as that continues to take effect, uh, then the question will become, and I think the big public policy question for the next month, two months or so, is at what rate you reopen up. So we asked a series of questions um, about general attitudes to that and about specific attitudes uh, to it. 
um, uh, in, in, in terms of the various aspects of, uh, of, of the lockdown. And, um, and, you know, we see results that I, I think show kind of quite a, you know, a, a nuanced view on, uh, on behalf of, the, uh, of, of the public uh, on schools and on construction. There's very strong, uh, very strong public support for reopening. I think we can fairly say as soon as possible, 44% saying they want the schools open immediately. Now, we know that's not going to happen, but that's uh, that's where the public is on it. And if you look into the breakdowns uh, of uh, on that question, you see it's very heavily driven, not surprisingly, by uh, people uh, with, with uh, people of parental age or of the age where they're likely to have uh, children in school. So 44% saying they want that reopened immediately, 36% uh, before the summer. Similarly with construction, 43% wanted reopened immediately. Again, we know that's not going to happen, but that's the public preference. 45% wanted open before the summer. And again, interestingly, you look at the demographic breakdown on that question and you see there's very strong support for immediate reopening amongst young people because, of course, they're the people who are I, well, my my, uh, my assessment of that is that that's because they are the people most um, who are most acutely aware from their own circumstances of the uh, of the housing shortage. If you go beyond those questions, though, and you look at things like retail, pubs, and restaurants, much less support for an immediate opening. Uh, with those 15% on retail and non-essential services, 6% pubs and restaurants want them reopened immediately. But 55% of people want retail and non-essential services open before the summer. You go on to things like travel, visiting other people's homes, travel outside the country, travel travel outside your own county, for example, 24% reopen immediately, 50% open before the summer. So I think if you take all these if you take all these together, and the global question, sorry, just before I say that, the global question of, you know, are there too many restrictions at the moment? Just less than a third of people saying there's too many restrictions at the moment. 43% saying it's about right. 24% saying uh, saying not enough. If you take all those questions together, and you have to try, I think, and draw lessons from the global set uh, of data. It seems to me that there are two forces vying. There's people want to get reopened as soon as possible, but as soon as possible means when they think it's safe to do so. Now, what, when is it safe to do so? So go and look at the question uh, that we asked uh, about zero, uh, uh, about zero COVID, the, the, the living with COVID approach versus the zero COVID approach. So we asked, you know, do people want to reopen, get back to normal once they're vulnerable uh, and the elderly are vaccinated? 68% of people say they do. 30% of people want to take the uh, the zero COVID approach. And I think the fairest interpretation on that, I know some people will differ, but, you know, people can look at the data and make up their own minds. My view uh, on, uh, on that is that means that people... Um, that people want to reopen as soon as it is safe to do so. They believe it will become progressively safe to do so once the elderly and the vulnerable are vaccinated. And I think the policy implication of that for the government, which will ultimately make these decisions over the next month and two months, is that support for the continued lockdown 
is likely to abate, and I think possibly abate fairly quickly once the elderly and the vulnerable are uh, are vaccinated. And I think that is probably the most important message of the poll. And that'll be a very interesting judgment to see what they make. But we should say that there has been some criticism of that particular question, um, asking people to choose between what is described as the living with COVID strategy and zero COVID. And I saw Tomás Ryan, who's a, a prominent member of the Independent Scientific Advisory Group, who are, who are promoting a, a zero COVID policy, um, strongly questioning the description within the questions and I do have I do have I do wonder a little bit about it myself because it describes living the living with covid strategy as and I quote getting back to normal once the elderly and vulnerable have been vaccinated however most recent information from Neffet for example and Dr Ronan Glynn is he's warned specifically against I think what he calls a vaccine trap in other words that very idea that you can return to normality once the at-risk suits have been vaccinated because for a variety of reasons, which I won't go into here, but it's essentially not Neffet's policy and unlikely to be the government's strategy. And then Tomás Ryan argues that um, zero COVID, which is, you know, a contentious policy and is rejected, for example, by the government and by, by Neffet, but he rejects the characterization of it as saying that it would mean keeping restrictions in place until COVID has been all but eliminated. Because the implication there, I think he's saying, is that we'll just have to wait until after the summer. These are all framed as sort of time frame questions. But the zero COVID argument, for good or ill, is that with a harder lockdown and really stringent border controls and chasing down community transmission if and when it arises, you can actually open up your country in the in the way that New Zealand or Australia have done. Well, you, you, as I understand it, the argument is you 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 can do that, but only once COVID has all been been all but eliminated was the the wording we chose. Uh, in the community, I mean, I don't want to have an argument with Tom Ryan. He's not. Uh, uh, he's he's not here. I I did see some of his tweets about it. One of them was uh, citing a, a different poll in the journal, which said that seventy seven percent of people were in favour of zero COVID. But that wasn't an opinion poll. It was a text in poll or a, an online poll with a self selecting sample. So um, n- not really comparable to a poll conducted in the manner that we have. And people can read about the methodology of their poll again. They can make up their, their own minds in it. I also saw suggestion that you know, from supporters of zero COVID saying that Neffet and the government have positions which are firmly in line with the zero COVID strategy. My pretty firm recollection is that both Neffet and the government have explicitly rejected uh, a zero COVID strategy. I mean, on the, on, on the wording of, uh, of the question, you know, we went through many iterations of this with our pollsters, and I, I'm not sure the difficulty with the the characterization of zero COVID about keeping restrictions in place until COVID has all been uh, eliminated. I think the wording, I think the wording of the question is fair. I don't think there is any. I mean, given the amount of media exposure that zero COVID, uh, the zero COVID lobby have had, uh, I, I think most people are probably fairly. Uh, au fait with their arguments and uh, objectives and are perfectly competent to make a decision on the desirability uh, or otherwise of it when um, uh, when asked about it. Um, the other part of the question, it, 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 it doesn't suggest, I think, and nobody would understand that, you know, living with COVID and getting back to normal once the elderly and vulnerable have been vaccinated is an overnight thing. That's clearly a process. And it's also clearly the approach, I think, that is going to be followed 
by uh, by the government, and they've made this very clear that there will be a what do they call it a a a cautious and or a careful and conservative reopening. That's very much a process, but it is by definition both of the government and of the zero COVID lobby. It is different from uh, what the zero COVID people are suggesting. And what we've attempted to do is to gauge the public's view on uh, on that. And, you know, uh, we we you know, we do that in good faith and as uh, and as uh, as fairly and as accurately as we can. The fact that people don't like the results and therefore question the, the methodology um, is not really something I can do anything about. No, indeed. And I think, uh, as always in this podcast, we presume good faith on on, on all sides, uh, including our own, um, which some people don't. Um, I, I think perhaps the question, as well as I, I would have some, some issues with the wording myself, I have to admit, but it also perhaps illustrates the difficulty of, of applying uh, traditional polling methodology to some of the questions in, in all their complexity, which we're, we're confronting at the moment, where you have parameters of disease metrics, um, of time, of economic issues, political issues, and indeed what's other things that are happening outside the country, vaccine supply. Um, my, my read of this poll is that generally the um, um, people are pretty sophisticated about this stuff at the moment, but it can be quite difficult sometimes to nail down the jelly of what their sophisticated view is on something like a time frame because it's so dependent on so many factors and they know that. So it's relatively clear, I think, with these questions about um, construction sites opening or schools opening, what the public view is, and that's very useful. This one, I think, perhaps is a bit of a leap of trying to think ahead into what people might be thinking in the future. Yeah, oh, we 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 live in an imperfect world, Hugh. But I look, I I, I think that fair enough. No, no poll, no poll is uh, is is perfect. I think that this one does add significantly to our knowledge about where the public uh, is at and where it might go to. And you're right, of course, about trying to jump forward and uh, and and figure out what people will think in perhaps change circumstances in the future. And if it's one thing that we have seen, it's that the public will change their view sometimes dramatically on uh, as circumstances with which they are faced change. Um, you know, uh, perhaps that's perhaps that's not surprising. But I, I, I do think that there is sufficient evidence here um, for the conclusion that we have reached which is that support for the lockdown is likely to diminish and diminish perhaps quite significantly once the uh, once the elderly and the vulnerable have been vaccinated in the assumption that case numbers continue to come down and pressure on hospitals and especially ICUs continue to um, uh, continues to uh, abate to be honest you know, my reading of uh, of the poll wouldn't permit me to reach any other conclusion. But people may reach their uh, their their own conclusions, uh, I, I guess, on it. One final point, I think, uh, about this is that I think we're heading back into a phase in the near future where there will be tension between uh, Neffed and the government. Once again, on the pace of uh, on the pace of reopening, 
I think that's I think that's probably inevitable. And uh, you know, given the findings uh, of this poll, maybe they will illuminate those are uh, those arguments a little bit. In, in in that regard, it is interesting to look across the water because, of course, the UK are well ahead of us in terms of where they are in their vaccination schedule. There's a, uh, as always, there's an excellent London letter from our London editor Dennis Staunton in today's Irish Times, which I, uh, I I'd, um, advise people to read. As always, it's very entertaining as well as everything else. But he's had his first shot, and he's describing what his neighbours around him in London, who have also had their their first vaccination shot, how their behaviour is starting to change, how they're starting to say, "Oh, you've had your." as I've had mine, maybe we can meet for a socially distanced drink, that some of those some of those restrictions are perhaps starting to slip. And I think that's bound to happen. And that has to be a, a consideration for the government as well, because it's all very well them laying down the law about what people can or can't do. But there is always the possibility that people will increasingly ignore those restrictions. And I think we're. I think that's 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 absolutely true. Uh, I haven't I haven't yet read Dennis's letter, but I, I'm not surprised at that uh, at that finding. And we actually see, you know, lockdown fatigue setting in already. Anyone who walks through the parks of Dublin on on a Saturday or Sunday uh, will see that. I heard you know reports of traffic jams on morning ireland this morning and it is a significant um i mean i understand from my reporting a significant uh, and growing fear amongst public health experts that rollout of vaccination will lead to uh, a breakdown in observance of our general observance of the restrictions and um, that is that is certainly a worry and that is one of the things i think that will be in the mix in the uh, discussions between government and nefford on the pace of reopening over the coming weeks Listen, moving on, there was we had a number of different questions over the course of the week in our polls. And of course, we had all our usual ones about the state of the parties and the um, political beauty contest and all of that. And the lesson, the main lesson I took from, from, from this, Pat, is that we should just bite the bullet and elect Chief Medical Officer Tony Holohan as leader for life. Yeah, um, perhaps not surprisingly, Tony Holohan was getting a um, an 83% uh, approval rating in terms of his handling of of the pandemic against a pretty anemic 45% for the government, 39% for Michal Martin, 50% for Leo Varadkar, and a perhaps surprisingly healthy 42% for, uh, for the Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly. You know, that's not surprising sometimes the, the you know, the function of politicians, uh, I think, is to be a punch bag um, for, uh, for the public. Tony Holohan is someone in whom there resides obviously a great deal of public trust. That in itself is going to be an interesting part of what I think is likely to to come, which will be tensions between cabinet and Neffet. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't think those tensions are either surprising. We've seen them before. I don't think that they're either um, surprising or indeed unproductive. The Public health experts think about uh, public health, but politicians have uh, have have a wider brief, and um, uh, you know we've as I say we've seen these we've seen these tensions before. I think we'll um, I think we'll see them again. But what those numbers tell us certainly is that when it comes to the public's view of the matter, they have a greater degree of trust in uh, in Tony Holohan than maybe they do in the politicians. And overall, the um, approval of the government's handling of the pandemic 
it continues to slide. Quite from- a significant slide, really. Um, it's it's positive rating down 13 points since the last time we asked this question in October. And uh, the number of people who think the government is doing a bad job has increased by 15 points up to 51, uh, 51%. Um, that probably makes it harder for uh, the government to chart the way, uh, the way out uh, of it. But we have seen that public public opinion changes quickly in response to external, you know, the external conditions. And we may, we may see that again, uh, I think. But there's no doubt that the, I mean, if you look at, you know, say the Fine Gael, both Leo Varadkar's personal ratings and the Fine Gael uh, share of the vote, which was at uh, 30%, um, the, the 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 largest la- largest share of support of an, of any party that is still very much a legacy of the public perception that in the first wave of the virus from say March until June of last year the caretaker government led by Fianna Fáil wa, or Fianna Gael rather was uh, adjudged by very many people to have done uh, a good job on that now of course that was you know the first kind of lockdown, keep people stay safe phase of the government's response to it. What has transpired since then has been much more complicated. Reopening is is, is harder than uh, than shutting down. And but it's quite clear that the the third lockdown, the third wave, and the third lockdown have damaged the government's credibility as a whole with um, uh, with the public, notwithstanding the differences within the government as between Fianna Fáil and, uh, and Fianna Gael and the Green Party. And and you were writing earlier this week um, in advance of the launch of the new version of government strategy about what was underpinning it was, uh, or not underpinning it perhaps, was a kind of a loss of confidence in government after this third wave. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you talk to people in and around government and it's pretty clear that, you know, their their confidence was completely shot after the uh, the third uh, the third wave. I, I think that, uh, again, you know, that will be a factor in the debates with Neffed to come and will push the government towards, and we see that this week, uh, again, towards a more, uh, a more cautious and conservative uh, approach as favoured by Neffet. But I think that dynamic between the two sides will be uh, uh, an ongoing one. Much of it, of course, you know, taking place behind closed doors, but I suppose we'll do our, breath, our best to, uh, to shed a bit of light on it. And then briefly on the state of the parties, if, if, if you wouldn't mind, um, the Fine Gael down a little bit, Sinn Féin essentially within the margin of error, so essentially plateauing. The, the, the main number that jumps out is uh, a continuing slide in Fianna Fáil's fortunes. Yeah, a couple of things I think to be said about the levels of uh, of party support. The biggest move was um, Fine Gael down by five points from thirty five in October to thirty thirty percent now. Still the, the the largest or most popular party um, by the by the choice of, uh, of of voters. But I think interesting if you look at the you know many of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's opponents, though the two parties uh, obviously hotly contested, but many of their opponents view them as basically the same two sides of the same sort of conservative force in uh, in in Irish politics. But their combined vote uh, is more or less the same now as it was uh, in the general uh, election. Obviously, Fianna Fáil scored a higher uh, share of that vote than uh, than Fine Gael did. So. The movement in that sphere has been from 
from Fianna Fáil voters to uh, o- over to Fine Gael. And I think there are there are dangers for Fianna Fáil at the moment. I mean, we've been looking at this and talking about this for a long time, but if you look at the demographics of the Fianna Fáil vote, um, you know, overwhelmingly older voters down to 8% in Dublin. Um, now, you know, w- w- you know, we should say that the geographical breakdowns come from a smaller base and thus should be taken as indicative rather than absolute. But it's this is something we've been looking at for uh, for some time now, and it is clearly uh, a problem for uh, for for Fianna Fáil. Uh, albeit that, if you believe, as their opponents do, that they're two sides of the same conservative coin, then their support is uh, is is actually holding up. Um, two other things uh, that 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 I'd say just about the party numbers in conclusion. First is that a uh, little bit of comeback for uh, the Green Party up to 6%, almost the level that they've had, uh, that they enjoyed in the, at the last general election when they won 7, uh, 7%. Eamon Ryan's rating recovering a little bit as well. So, you know, perhaps it is not a foregone conclusion that the Green Party will be ultimately decimated by its decision to enter government. I mean, that may still be likely, but these numbers suggest that it is not uh, I- inevitable. The other thing that struck me about it is um, that despite, you know, a combined eight point drop for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, there was no gain for Sinn Féin, which came down marginally by 1.28%. Now, two ways of looking at this, I think. The first is that in the years since the general election campaign, Sinn Féin has been really successful in consolidating that newfound support. And that's that, you know, that's really important. I think that chunk of the electorate is now, you know, Sinn Féin's uh, to lose. But the fact that they haven't gone up when Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are coming down suggests to me that there may be a question as to whether this is the sort of new plateau for uh, for Sinn Féin. Now, it's a pretty high plateau to be uh, to have your uh, your tent pitched on. But it does suggest on the evidence of this poll, and this is only one poll and snapshot in time and so forth, that, you know, the inexorable march of Sinn Féin into the 30s, into, you know, uh, into a position of being the largest party, which some people thought was the process we were in uh, after the general election, that doesn't seem to be, uh, that doesn't seem to be happening. And if there is a picture that is, you know, delineated by uh, by by this poll, um, it is that the old two and a half party system of uh, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and the Labour Party may be in the process of being replaced by a new two and a half party system of uh, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin, with uh, Fianna Fáil as the smaller party. Very interesting indeed. Thanks for that, Pat. Thanks also to Declan Conlon, our producer. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, do drop us a line at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening. Mm-hmm.